0: Welcome
1: to Citizen, Citizen, Citizen Citizen
0: Science, Citizen Science Show. G'day out there in podcast land, it's Ian from the Australian Citizen Science Association's Annual General Meet, annual general Conference, sorry I'm that excited. National Conference. National Conference and we're out in the field on the BioBlitz Day and I'm here with Lisa
1: Evans, is that correct? Yes. From Dunedin? Dunedin. Dunedin in New Zealand. Yeah, just recently from Dunedin though, we moved there from Perth last year.
0: Won't hold that against you. <laughs> This weekend's been so fantastic. And what's your interest in the citizen science movement? I
1: was doing a PhD and I I needed to go part-time and I needed to look for part-time work. And my PhD was in how you use games to engage people in climate change and in climate science. I've been reading about citizen science as I've been looking into public engagement in science. And to me, it kind of seemed like citizen science is like the most engaged you could be in science. I just happened to then search for citizen science jobs in Perth and one just immediately popped up, which was at the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research. Oh, wow. And it was about to close in like two days. So I applied. (laughs) And I got it because I originally studied astrophysics and then I'd worked in video games and animation for years. They were calling me the unicorn. I just kind of came out of nowhere with exactly the right skills. So then I coordinated this astronomy citizen science project for over three years at the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research, otherwise known as ICRA, which is a lot easier to say.
0: I love this. So not only can we do studies on Earth, but now citizen science a study in the stars.
1: Yeah, well, anywhere that you have a lot of data, that scientists, there's not enough of them to look at it all themselves, then you've either got to use artificial intelligence or you have to use lots and lots of volunteers. In the case of what ended up being known as AstroQuest, they were looking at surveys of up to millions of galaxies, which are being done in various places, where they would use a computer algorithm to sort through them and just pinpoint where the galaxies are in the photos. Because that's the first thing you have to do before you can build a catalogue. You need a catalogue to then be able to do any kind of science on galaxies. The computer algorithm would go through, and it was pretty good, and isolate where galaxies were in the pictures. But sometimes they're overlapping, sometimes it just there's a bit of noise, or it could be an irregular-looking galaxy. And there's all kinds of reasons why it wouldn't get it right.
0: Here I am walking on this trail because we're in the field, and I'm looking at ants and wasps and little things like that. But at the same time, I'm thinking, wow, the galaxy—we're just part of a a number of different galaxies, aren't we? Like there's hundreds, thousands,
1: (laughs) millions, billions
0: of galaxies out there, and we're just we're just a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck.
1: Who knows, there might be people doing citizen science on other planets.
0: (laughs) Yes, in other
1: galaxies. They might have whole other ways of doing science.
0: No, that's amazing. So how can people get involved in the astrology side? Astronomy. Astronomy.
1: Astrology is the less scientific discipline (laughs) where people try to use stars and planets to either predict the future or tell you something about your personality. But this is, yeah, astronomy is people who use telescopes and look into space. And
0: have you ever seen anything really unusual? Just
1: some really gorgeous interacting galaxies were picked up in the survey that we were analysing. Some... you things like gravitational lensing which is a general relativistic effect where if you've got an object behind something that's really really big light gets bent around the foreground object and you can get multiple copies of the th- the object that was behind it so you might see like this kind of halo of four different galaxies around another galaxy because that one was behind it and the light got bent which is really cool there's lots of nice things like that there was a discovery that was made through the precursor project to AstroQuest, which was, was something like green pea galaxies. It was these little green blobs. One of the citizen scientists saw it and was like, I've never seen anything like Not that Not little before. green men. No, no, no. Those are pulsars. <laughs> you know the story of the discovery of pulsars? No. brilliant lady called Jocelyn Bell Burnell, who was a PhD candidate, and she was doing some radio astronomy for her PhD, but she got this signal that was just very, very regular, these regular blips, and she had no idea what they were, and she put LGM question mark or something like that on the printout of the signal because she thought, little green men... She couldn't work out how something, there would be some kind of natural source for this very regular pulse, but actually that was the discovery of pulsars, oh wow. which stars which are rotating. As they rotate, they kind of emit this pulse as they come around, so, so they've got a very regular period. So yeah, she discovered that, but then at the time, because she was a PhD student, it was her supervisor who got the Nobel Prize. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But she, I mean, she understands where that was. Everyone else is outraged for her, but she doesn't really mind. <laughs> and, and how did you get started in looking at the stars? Well, my dad is a science teacher or he's retired now. He was the kind of science teacher dad who would always take us out to you know amateur astronomy nights and things. If there was any kind of interesting event going on, we'd have to go to it. He'd take us out in the backyard with our friends at birthday parties and show us sunspots using a telescope. Oh, really? We'd be the kids at school. If there was a solar eclipse, he made us a little pinhole thing to look at it. So you'd hold up paper with a pinhole in it and shine it on another piece of paper. Everyone else at school was going, why are you doing that? You're not supposed to look cut it directly and they're all kind of going, we're <laughs> looking up.
0: <laughs> wow, so it was your dad that got you into yeah. this.
1: Yeah, and he always insisted that I had to do physics and astronomy. I was almost equally interested in art and writing and I almost ended up doing fine arts or journalism and Dad was like, no, no, no do the physics, do the physics, so I did that. <laughs> but then I ended up more in science communication and in 3D animation and game design because it's kind of combining both. Yeah, you, yeah, and Yeah, and doing the citizen science project was, like, coordinating that was a, a really great combination of those skills because you get to do communications, work with all the pretty pictures of all the galaxies, <laughs> build a website and that kind of thing. But there's also physics and science involved. So it's, I like those kind of areas where you get to combine different
0: disciplines, skills
1: and disciplines. Yeah,
0: Overlapping and see what comes out of it. Yeah. Well, I know everyone's going to ask me, have you ever seen any aliens or UFOs in your um, travels? I mean... Observations, I I should call them, shouldn't I? You can
1: see funny things in the sky that you don't know what they are, but my assumption is usually that, you know, it might be the International Space Station. Yeah, I'll always look up. If I see something travelling overhead, I'm not sure what it is. I'll look up, is the International Space Station coming over? Maybe it's Elon Musk's thing. I've just gone blank on the name. Yeah, satellites. Yeah, the satellites. Starlink. Starlink, yeah. It could be that these days. A lot of people are seeing that and going, what is it? What is it? It's Starlink. (laughs) It could just be a meteor shower. It could be some kind Kind of aircraft flying overhead. So I just tend to make the assumption that it's probably got a good explanation and I don't jump to, to being aliens. So, yeah, no, I haven't seen anything, personally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of those boring people. It's like, but doesn't science just take all the wonder and magic out of life? It's like, no, we've just got different explanations for things or come to different conclusions about things, but it's still exciting. Yeah. To me, it is.
0: So if people want to get involved in looking at the stars in a citizen science project... In
1: actual fact, most of these projects you do on your computer because what they want you to do is process a lot of data. One place to look for that is... Platform called Zuniverse.
0: Zuniverse. I'd
1: have mentioned to you already.
0: No, no, no one's mentioned Zooniverse.
1: Oh, okay, because. Um, Universe started off as a project called Galaxy Zoo, which was a similar kind of galaxy analysing type project. And then it grew into a platform where lots of people could put lots of different citizen science projects online. And they're all ones that you do using your computer. There's a wide range of projects on there now, but there's still this thread of different astronomy related ones. And there's an ongoing project called Radio Galaxy Zoo, which is about helping to analyse data from radio astronomy of galaxies. They've had a few different iterations of that project where they're asking you to do slightly different things and they've just released a new version of Radio Galaxy Zoo and that involves a lot of people in Australia as well as multiple different countries
0: Okay, so could you just say that one more time?
1: Radio Galaxy Zoo
0: Radio Galaxy Zoo Did you all hear that out there in podcast
1: Yeah, and if you go to the platform called Zooniverse, which is Z-O-O-N-I-V-E-R-S-E then there's a range of different projects on there that you can get involved in. Oh, beautiful. There have been projects that do involve going out at night and looking at the stars. There was one where they were tracking sightings of meteors and asteroids and things. I think it was called fireballs in space, but I'm not sure if that's still going. So there can sometimes be really cool ones where you do go outside, but mostly they want you to look at pictures. (laughs)
0: Oh, really? taken
1: with different types of telescopes and observatories, yeah. The reason why AstroQuest was happening is because in Western Australia, they're now in the process of building the Square Kilometre Array, which is the biggest radio observatory that's ever been built. Part of it is in Western Australia and the other part is in South Africa.
0: It's that big, it can't fit in all of Western Australia.
1: No. (laughs) If you have them spread apart together, they form an even bigger observatory. Oh,
0: so it's like putting out a big net. Yeah, in a way. In a way, so they've got two points. And then...
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of things you can do with coordinating different radio observatories from different parts of the world. You make a bigger and bigger and bigger telescope. That's how they got that first photo of a black hole, by combining observations from different observatories around the world.
0: No, it sounds like a really interesting project.
1: Not an expert on um, the fine details because I'm more involved in like the communications side. The Square Kilometre Array is going to produce just a vast amount of data, like more than anyone's ever had to analyse before. And so at ICRA, they've got incredible experts there. So what's ICRA? International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research, which is in Perth. And it's a collaboration between UWA, Curtin, CSIRO, I think a bunch of other people as well. I can't quite remember the full list. That's all right. <laughs> um, they'll be dealing with more data than anyone's ever seen before. It involves a lot of high performance computing, supercomputers, very novel techniques of machine learning and AI. They are integrating citizen science as well because there are things that a machine just won't necessarily do well enough that if you get a whole lot of human brains and human eyes looking at the same data, you increase the power, really, of analysis that you've got.
0: Interesting. Very, very interesting. So it is important that people get involved.
1: I mean, we did do some analysis of, you know, who are our audience, who makes up our community of volunteers. In astronomy, it's quite blokey. It's a lot of guys who just have a real passion for space stuff, we're always trying to encourage a lot more women to get involved as well because one thing about citizen science, it uses the wisdom of crowds. That's the power behind citizen science. If you have one person guess how many jelly beans are in a jar, they could be way off. But if you get 100 people to all guess and you take the average of their guesses, you get something that's really, really precise and that's the wisdom of crowds. As long as you've got a good diverse crowd of people coming at it from different perspectives with different ways of thinking and you combine their perceptions of this data together, then you'll zero in on the correct answer a lot more often. We don't know the answers, you know. With some Crowd's effect is a really good way of, yeah, narrowing down on what the, the correct solution might be. Wow, I love that.
0: That's a golden nugget of information there, isn't it, really? So it's the power of the people combining together. The thing that I've gotten out of the last four days that I've been here and listening to everyone... There's one thread that goes through everything and that's love. Everybody's loving what they're doing and everyone's following their passion. When you love what you do and you do what you love, you never work a day in your life.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you think it's work, it's really not for you. But if you love it, then come on down. Yeah. Beautiful. I've looked up to the stars and and you know one thing that I'm always big on is history. The ancient astronomers, they had a a really good take on, on the solar system and the stars back in the days And, and I was in Scotland once and there was an island off Scotland called Orkney Island and they said see this mound here this mound here's been for 2,000 years and the sun shines through this door I think it was the the summer equinox The sun comes in and hits here perfectly. Has science these days been looking at what actually happened in ancient times with the people who study the stars? Yeah,
1: there's some really interesting stuff going on. I'm just looking at the name of somebody that I've just gone blank on.
0: I never worked it out until sort of very lately, is um, Easter. I always used to ask myself, why does... Christmas always stay the same time every year, but Easter always changes. Easter is based on a pagan festival to do with the harvest or the start of the planting or something like that in the Northern Hemisphere.
1: Yeah, it is. So I just wanted to shout out an Indigenous astronomy researcher called Carly Allinton Noon. She now has a PhD, I believe, looking into Indigenous astronomy. Really? Some of the things that people have been looking at is Dreamtime stories that feature characters that are up in space.
0: Like Dark Emu.
1: But ones where they talk about a fire that burns brighter and then dimmer and then brighter and then dimmer. When you go right deep into these stories, you will find that they line up with what we know now to be variable stars, which are stars that do burn brighter and then dimmer and then brighter and then dimmer. just with the naked eye because Indigenous people spent so long just looking up into space just with their eyes. They picked up little details that we really don't see anymore because there's too much light pollution and we're just not, we don't spend anywhere near the same time just looking at stars with our own eyes. And if you look into the stories, those details are there. Oh, wow. There's also details about, you know, asteroids or meteors that have fallen to Earth and you can actually date them back to maybe 10,000 years ago and people are still telling those stories. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a lot of just incredible Indigenous astronomy out there. I'm not an expert on it, so I could be giving people the wrong impression about some of this, but if you go to the source, there's a few different researchers that are doing incredible work in that area. It's really worth looking into.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds great. I know I go out to Will Kenya, out near Broken Hill a fair bit, and I've got a few Aboriginal friends out there. Blinky Bill, how are you going? When when they take me out hunting their traditional ways, they go, look, there's dark emu up there. And this particular time, the emus are laying their eggs. And at this particular time, we can go out and get them. And by the time that's finished, it's it's over. It blew me away that they actually hunt eggs. And there's lots of different stories like that people don't even know about, do they?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were doing science. I mean, we have to be careful to understand that the way we think of science is based in this Western cultural tradition. We tend to think of that as the right way to investigate nature and the universe as if there's only one way to do it. But Indigenous people around the world have all come up with different ways of knowing and different knowledge systems. And there's a lot more work going now into actually merging those different knowledge systems and recognising that they are all equal ways of investigating nature. They're just different, you know? And that's one thing now living in New Zealand, there's a lot of work being done over there to acknowledge Maori knowledge systems, what we can learn when we actually treat it equally because it's knowledge, it's understanding and it can often be a different, in many ways, more meaningful way of understanding nature because of the way that it'll be integrated into human relationships and culture and spirituality. So I'm now working for the Solar Tsunamis Project at Otago University. I'm an assistant research fellow for them, kind of doing their project management and so on. At the Otago Museum, they've launched an exhibition about that really? project. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Tell us more. It's about to go on tour around different schools around New Zealand. Yeah. But at the moment, you can see it at Otago uh, Museum, anyone who happens to be in Dunedin. And one thing that they've done is this incredible woman called Tony. she has done a lot of research into Maru stories that align with the different phenomena that we're researching in the Solar tsunamis project, which includes aurora, the earth's magnetic field, solar activity, induced currents, all these kinds of things. And she's found incredible stories from Maori culture about Maui, about different gods and goddesses. And she's put those stories on the banners that explain each of the exhibits in this exhibition. Honestly, I find those the far more interesting part of the exhibition. To learn about those stories, they're really, really colourful and they just add so much more meaning. And then because you've got that extra layer of meaning, it's a lot more memorable when you go through the exhibit and interact with all the different gadgets and gizmos they've got there. I really love that.
0: Yes, and that's the way I feel with everything in life is that you have a belief system, but it can change.
1: It comes back again to that wisdom of crowds idea that when you combine different diverse perspectives on a problem, then you get closer to an understanding of it. And there's this idea from philosophy of science, it's called the theory ladenness of observation, which is if you just tell someone observe, they'll say, observe what? And then to tell them what to observe, you've got to give it a name. You're already attached a theory to that observation because that name was given to it by a person who looked at it, interpreted it and thought about it and created a theory around it. So you've attached that theory to that thing. We can't just observe without, putting a framework of understanding around it and that framework comes from our culture, from our history, our background, our language Our belief system. Yes, so everything is biased right from that point of observation. If you have people whose observations are all based in different types of theories, yeah, it just gives you those multiple perspectives that you can then try to combine into a bigger picture.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We've met another legend, silent achiever, and I never Even knew that this existed until today. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to Citizen. Citizen.
1: Citizen Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.